Hello to all of you. I'm having a cup of coffee right here and, and do this podcast here. Really cool. Really nice. Uh, yeah, the weather has turned colder lately and I'm having more time to focus on some things. Okay. What a change. What a change. Pennsylvania It's like uh, having uh, all four seasons at once. My cat wants to be in on this. What do you want? You want what? You do? You need to be on a podcast? You're the first person I've ever... Well... You're the first thing I've ever interviewed. <laughs> okay. The distractions when you're doing something uh, in the moment here. I hope you heard her. She said that uh, she is a big fan of this podcast. <laughs> Anyhow, the weather has changed. It was like 90 degrees, and now it, uh, it's it been <coughs> very cold, very, very cold. It's been almost like below zero. Um, not quite that far, but it's been freezing. And I'm at the point right now, <coughs> excuse me, catching up on everything that I've been wanting to get done. As far as hiking goes, I have seen a lot of really cool things lately, and I wanted to do a podcast on this. I just wasted like the most two minutes of your time here, <laughs> but I wanted to do a podcast on some history. It, it's been a while since I've done any archaeology, and it was never never a study of mine that I ever really went into depth with. I did did some anthropology along with my psychology degree and archaeology was one of those ones that I loved taking and I was natural at it and I always have been because when I'm out I always pick up on the history of things and geology and I see how it all kind of intermingles. <sighs> I, had, I had a professor in college and I'd, I'd sit there almost falling asleep because he'd ask questions to people like you need to set up a grid pattern and all this it, it was it was very to me it, to me for what I'm I do and what I was being taught is kind of common sense <clears throat> but I getting into archaeology getting into some of these the history around here as as an as an amateur novice nothing like really spectacular I'm not here to be Indiana Jones, okay. I have a lot of people on my Twitter and that that are real archaeologists. I'm nowhere near them. I'm an amateur. I go out and I see things historical and I become interested in them. I, I do a lot of genealogy and things like that. Don't get paid for them. I've done some pretty professional things with it. But um, I'm not sure what you call a professional or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't get paid for it. I don't have a degree in archaeology, but I'm interested in history. And I grew up in an area with a lot of history. So one of the things, okay, about mm, 20 years ago, maybe more than that, the Quimahoning Dam, the Quimahoning Reservoir in Somerset County, had been drained. There used to be this big green iron bridge. And... Um, it was deep off of it. <clears throat> People I know that would dive off of it couldn't touch bottom. So 
when it was drained, I looked out and there was probably 15 feet of mud. And it went out almost as far as you could see. It's a big lake. Queen Mahoning is a big lake. And I uh, went out there and I was very careful because you could step somewhere and you don't know how deep the mud is, how thick it is. There was a town. There was a second bridge. I took a lot of photographs. I had posted one online and someone said to me, hey, here's a picture of my great, I believe it was great, great grandparents and standing right where you're at when it was dry, before the lake was built. So I had this amazing idea that I'd fish here with my grandfather. He'd tell me these stories about there being a couple towns in there. And I never had the opportunity to really go out, see what was there, because it was underwater. At that point in time, you couldn't even take a boat out on Kumahoning. Even right now, I went out today trying to walk to a certain spot that I'd gotten to in my kayak. I had seen a man fishing there, so I assumed there was a path to it, and there's not. So it, it blows my mind on that lake just how much is not developed. It's still very much... You can walk, walk in the woods and see a foundation from the 1800s and nobody's visited it. It has a lot of history. <clears throat> a lot of history to me. And 20 years ago when I went there, I went up near the breast. And there's a cove. There's a big cove after the, before you get to the breast. The road kind of swerves away from Queen Mahoning. I believe it's, uh, I can't think of the name of the road, but it, um, Plank Road, I believe, it comes back around, and it comes very close to the reservoir at a cove. Right now, they have a, they have a bicycle path there. There were three foundations there, and I walked out, <coughs> walked out at that time, and I saw these, uh, these foundations took pictures of them. I, I, I didn't did at the time. I have a very very novice view of what how to approach something. Again, common sense. I didn't mess with it. I didn't disturb it. I didn't start tearing the bricks out or the stones work. This time, these are big blocks, barn 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 uh, stones, foundation stones. I, I found some artifacts and and I, I kept a couple that were like uh, rusty nails and uh, plow tips. And I was amazed. I was amazed that these things had been there over 100 years or more under the water and had not deteriorated, mainly because they were high-carbon steel. You'll see a lot of this when you're watching, I was just watching Oak Island and saw where they had found similar things that just don't age because they're they made things quality then. So I was walking around. I, f I found this this uh, furnace where they had had a uh, made pottery, and there was all these shards of pottery around. It was so I mean, it was deep. I was upset. I wanted to find at that time a complete pot. I realized they'd all been destroyed. I don't know if people had just gone through and kicked them and destroyed them or what, but it was very thick clay earth pottery and it was beautifully glazed there were red glazes there were green glazes uh, there were brickwork and I found two uh, 
types of uh, furnaces that they would bake the pottery in, you know, uh, a very uh, rustic kiln. And what they would do is they would dig into the bank and they would set up brickwork and they would fire it in, in the side of the hillside, like in a blast furnace. I found some pottery with fingerprints on it that had been fired. And I, I'm sitting there 20 years ago looking at it and saying, wow, these are the fingerprints of somebody that lived a long time ago. And it really stirred my interest in this area. Queen Mahoning Township, there's not a lot of history written on it, but there is a lot of history. Same way with Mr. Beagley that uh, had written a book about my ancestors, was looking for information on them. I believe I have a write-up here that he wrote on them. He goes to say, The Beakley family descends from a German noble family by the name of Bouchel. This noble family, having married an organic wife, a legitimate heir cannot be taking the father's rank or possessions. Uh, to sum this up, basically, Michael Beakley, it came around in the 1730s, the 1750s with his mother to Germantown, PA, and resided there, and he found out that money was left for him. So it says here, his mother went back for the money. Finally making up her mind to return, they started the return journey in the year 1751 or 1752. The ship they were traveling on was boarded by sea pirates by whom this mother was killed and her son Michael, a lad of 12 or 13 years of age, was taken captive by these pirates. The son remained captive uh, for over two years. One night, while the ship of the pirates was anchored in Philadelphia Harbor, the lad, Michael Bouchel, made his escape and returned to Germantown, where he was reared by a German family. In the year 1762, he took himself to be lawfully wedded to one named Barrow Inken, who was born and raised in Bucks County, PA. He then made his home in Bucks County, where he would be, there would be born to him a number of sons, namely Jacob, John, Joseph, Michael. Michelle was a member at Settlement Germantown, the Amish faith. So, you know... They talk about how he didn't want to get involved in the war, the in the Revolutionary War, he moved to Myersdale. So his son Jacob, I've been to his grave. I've been to Michael's grave. There, there's these people can't, they can't talk to you. You go there and you, you don't know what the real history is. A lot of these places are really hard to get to. It says here that talking about Jacob Beakley, which would be my huh, six, Michael's my sixth great-grandfather, so Jacob, Jacob would be my fifth. See so how Jacob purchased land, his father, where the town of Beachdown now stands, and they're, they're buried near that. Um, he was engaged in farming. He says that uh, he married 
Mary Polly Hendricks, the daughter of John Hendricks, Summit County, Summit Township, Somerset County. She was born in 1776 and died 1881. Jacob was born in 1766. So, you know, Mary Polly Hendricks, this guy's wife, she was descended, her grandfather, <laughs> this is going way back, I'm looking at my fifth, sixth, seventh great-grandfather, her grandfather, was actually the first person to live in Somerset County. So you're really not going that far from, you're talking like the 1700s, that, that, that was, this was when the first people lived in this area. And Mr. Beakley has a wonderful write-up on it. He says that um, how many sons he had, and his son Joseph. Joseph Beakley, son of Jacob Beakley, um, was born March 3rd, 1794, and died January 26th, 1865. Married Suzanne Miller. Joseph was a farmer. He settled near a farm near Stoyston, PA, in Quimahoning Township. They are both buried in Quimahoning Township, but what cemetery I cannot determine. But I'm inclined to think it was either Mount Horner or Mount Tabor, St. James between Stoystown and Boswell. They had six sons and seven daughters. He goes on to say how he needed Tobias Beakley. And you could say Beakley, Beachley. There's different ways. There's so many spellings of it. But the point of this is <clears throat> even a great researcher like uh, my friend here, Mr. Beakley, who I met when I was very young, I was probably like six years old. I didn't have a deep conversation on this stuff, obviously. I was more interested in running around circles around the tree, okay? Kind of sad, because I would like to talk to the guy right now and pick his mind, but he couldn't find these people's graves. It was, they were never found. I recently, by doing research on... Well, that's about two years ago. Been doing research on census data. Found that Joseph Beakley and his wife and every people, everybody on this one road didn't have a grave. So I, I tracked down looking at an old write-up about a lost cemetery someone had found in the year 1900. And then by doing a write-up on GPS, I could, uh, through information with uh, matrix points, basically break down where it was at. And I found it. I found their graves. And I kind of filled filled in that hole of it. So what you're looking at with Somerset County and Queen Mahoning, after the Revolutionary War, many of these Revolutionary War veterans were paid with land. And that was along Route 30, the original Forbes Road, the original Lincoln Highway, <coughs> the first uh, official highway to go through there. The Quimahoming Dam was not there at that time. Before that was uh, an Indian town, Kickapons town, and that's at the bottom of Quimahoning. There was also the Pine, uh, I believe it was Pine Grove, or, but um, Church of the Brethren which my ancestor, my, my fourth great-grandfather, um, John Forney, was an elder and bishop there. 
and so was Joseph Bigley. And they had a child together. I mean, they're, well, they're not them. Their kids had a child together, okay? Uh, and I'm tying all this in for you guys. I know it's boring. I'm getting into some technical stuff. Why is this important? It's important because the entire history of this section of Somerset County is under a lake. It doesn't exist. Uh, my fourth great grandfather, John Forney, had to have his grave actually moved. And as he's buried in Berlin, PA now, it was on the Quimhoning Lake. His farm was there. If you go out the road from there a bit on the Million Dollar Highway, up on the hill towards the right, going towards Somerset. There is a lone grave there that's of uh, a woman that was a Forney that was his daughter-in-law. So this whole area was Forney's, Beakley's, Sailor's, all these people live there. And it was it was a congregation. It was one of the first churches. It's under the Queen Hunting Dam. So I have this personal interest in it. And I just went today, because I went to Queen Mahoney, I was going to do some fishing. I wanted to go back to this place I'd taken my kayak on. I, I couldn't reach it on foot. And with it being so cold out, I'm not going to put my kayak in the water. But I looked and I said, wow, the Queen Mahoney's down about 15 feet. It's not down the good 30 or 40 feet it was 20 years ago. I'm not going to be able to see these foundations. But, but you know, like I'm looking at it and I'm saying, I might be able to find some artifacts. And this is water that, you know, it's down 15 feet. It's beyond wading distance. So it's going to be near the shore. And I'm not, I wish I could go out further. I know in the deepest section is the old Indian town, but I can get to the pottery place. So I stopped up, and it's been 20 years. I thought about it and remembered <laughs> what I could. And I did some fishing there, but as I was there, I looked around. And I saw another one of those furnaces that it's obvious. I mean, it's dry land. Everything else is shoreline. There's dry land, and it's shaped in a circle. And I found a lot of the pottery. I found more pottery with fingerprints. And some historical objects that I really like and I'm going to take to the Somerset Historical Society when I get a chance. Because it's fascinating. It's history of how they made pottery. It's, it's the fingerprints of the people. And every once in a while it shows up. So I did all that today and it got me into wanting to do this podcast. And all this history I just told you. This is just my family. These people had a congregation, and there's there's still pictures. There's an old book. Uh, you might be able to get in PDF format. There's two um, copies, Eastern and Western Church of the Brethren. And this is the whole United States. It talks about these ancestors of mine and how it all goes back to Queen Mahoney. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. I'm covering this podcast on this boring stuff. A lot of details for you. Most of you will probably have tuned out by now. I'm doing it though because it's not told historically. I want people to know and have it available. This, I didn't grow up knowing this. 
I had to really do years and years of research to know all this. <coughs> There's other people that I've learned from too. Don't mind my coughing here. I have been really dealing with something here. These allergies from this weather changing. But I was talking to a man who was related to the Zimmermans at when I found Joseph Beakley's uh, grave there were a lot of Zimmermans they were neighbors they intermarried their families did they had this this cemetery and this guy Larry Pierce has an amazing website so I'd, I'd been in communication with him and I, I told him what I found I did a whole uh, laser grid map of, of the cemetery of the ones I could read 90% of it I couldn't but he goes to talk about um, the Queen Mahoning here and he wrote this in 03 so it's, it's dated it's at least uh, 16 years old but I've spoken to him and given him some information on some things too and he's given me a lot, a lot as well I hope he doesn't mind me reading some of this let me see here. He's got a lot on here. Here's about the Grove Church. Our present property at Forwardstown sits on the site of the county's first ironwork called Somerset Fort Furnace, which began operations in 1850. So let's give me some idea when they built the lake. Bethlehem still built it as a water, as a reservoir, and they used it for water. Uh, Johnstown did. There's a lot of information here. There it goes. This is, this is the part. Reverend Good stumbled upon a pile of old cut nails, forged, flattened, and stamped long strips of iron rather than poured and shaped individually as they are today. They had undoubtedly held the old pine grove church together and were unrusted after over three quarters of a century underwater because of the lack of oxidizing agents. This church had been built before the Great Civil War, the same time year my wife Susan's great-grandfather, Dilbert Miller, was born, 1855. He was a Lutheran, we believe, and farmed Morse to the south near Stoystown. Good related, we have records of some of our church of the brethren being baptized in the valley with Pine Grove Church. We also learned that the wood from the old structure went to build a farmhouse on higher ground. This is supposedly still standing. Who knows? It could be the old Baron Miller house. One of the 20 foundations beneath the Cuyamahoning is that of Stanton's Mill, once an active gristmill and local hardware store. It can be found in the Beers Atlas of 1875, along with our community of Forwardstown. The houses and owners exactly as they were known then, whereas the nearby coal mining towns of Boswell and Jerome hadn't been built yet. This simply shows that communities can come and go over the years, even in older Eastern America. This phenomenon isn't limited to ghost towns of the West. Reverend Good reportedly and hardware items unique to the agriculture were found. Plow points and other farming equipment. I found plow points as well. So I know what this guy's talking about. 
I found the same plot points. Queen Mahoney wasn't always the same size. You know, what he's talking about is it was a smaller lake and they built onto it after the Civil War. Johnstown lost its water supply. Uh, they needed to build onto it. Historians believe an even older settlement lies under the Cui, as locals call the Great Lake and Dam. A Native American village complete with campfire circles, arrowheads, and animal bones. Good says, I guess we'll never see that. It's in the lowest part of the dam, so it would have to be completely drained. There were settlements in this area long before white men were here. Uh, he goes on to talk about the lost civilization, Tribune Democrat, at October 19th. I believe he says 1994 this was written. And I'd commented to him about it. Um, he has a great deal of information. He's added a few more on here I haven't actually noticed. Uh, Yost Miller. Um, see, it's the sad part. A lot of this about the Zimmermans and Millers and Beakleys, it was not recorded. I've done DNA testing and I know we're all related. There weren't too many people there. Because what you have is the history of this area, too. A guy would be given a lot of land for fighting in a war, and he'd break it up with his kids. So if you'd see the name Miller on that road, all those Millers were related. And that's that's what I ran into. Um, he goes into talking about uh, all these different historical backgrounds on people. He's really, really well written. I encourage you all to look at it. It's a e slash gen.info page. Just go on and look for Lost Civilizations of the Quimahoning by Larry Pierce. And you'll get all this. It goes from the Pierce family to the Gray family to Miller, Krauss, E. Gen Tools. The guy's, the guy's an amazing genealogist. He's wanted to meet up and have coffee with me and talk about some of this stuff. And I haven't had the opportunity to. But there are researchers out there doing what I'm doing, and we're kind of collaborating on some things when we get time. Um, I'm blown away to be able to go, and I believe I still have in my shed those plow tips I found, to go to a place like that and see history right there. I can imagine if they would drain it the rest of the way. It's over 100 feet deep, but if they would drain the Quimahoning, and maybe someday it will be drained. Maybe someday they'll have to do work on it and they'll have to drain it all the way down, and people can go and see the... the uh, Native American town that's there that George Washington and Christopher Gist went through, went through. It would be a lot of sediment on top of it. It would take a lot of archaeological work to set up a grid, uh, remove the sediment, and see what was there. You'd see, you'd see the charcoal, I would imagine, the firings. These places <coughs> on the Forbes Road in context for all of you that are doing research on it, Native American-wise, not not the farms and all that. You you would have the original road was uh, Route 30 was a Native American path, Nimicolin's path. Christopher Gist climbed it. I've covered this in my book. Was the first white man 
up on top of that in the 1740s, 1750s, somewhere in that area. And he was the first one to climb that. And he would have followed this path on the same road. And this Indian town, Kickpunningstown, was right along it. It would have been a trading post. It would have been where the Minga, the Seneca, the Shawnee, all these different tribes would have came together. It wouldn't just be one tribe. It was actually a town that this, this elder had set up and traded. Everything was traded there because things weren't available at the time. You couldn't just go out and go to Walmart. And that was a good resupply. And good water and a good farmland. And all that history is right there. Okay. But the context of the Native American side of that tells you what they learned from it. My ancestors. Um Goods, the Forneys, the Millers, the Beakleys, all of them. They were businessmen. They, they were friends with Alexander Hamilton and Ben Franklin and George Washington. They were uh, people that came here and they spoke Swiss German. You can even go right, right now to the old Bedford Church on 30, the old log church, and there's tombstones, I believe, actually uh, from... Um, Shellsburg, the Shells family, there's some that are in German. And it's a different type of German than the Germans speak today. If you go there, you'll see a little bit of what, what the history was, and you may not understand the context of it. Before the Revolutionary War, there was a man uh, named Husband. And he went by a different name. He was from Virginia. He was, he was going to be put to death. Him and a couple of his guys were starting some problems. He fled. So he came here, and I forget what name they called him. He had a, he had a name. <laughs> really flamboyant guy. But he became friends with uh, the ancestors of mine. Put in the context, okay, Virginia, there was a guy at the base of the Allegheny that didn't like Washington, George Washington didn't like husband, didn't like any of these people. So they wanted to set up trade routes. And he got the idea from the Native Americans. They said, well, look, we've got these established trade routes. We've got these established paths. And we're trading with them. But we want to set up feed mills. We want to set up places where there's our own trading posts for, for farmers, the, the white men. And the husband had this wonderful idea. He got them together. And he, this guy was reading Shakespeare and all that. And... My ancestors would say to him, like, why are you reading Shakespeare? You know, you're in the woods. Do you need that? So you have this practicality even the days that I, I, I see some of these people and they laugh at me because I, uh, I'm into some of these things. They just look at me and say, what are you ever going to use that? <coughs> I still see it. But husband spoke German. He spoke English. So he would help these people out in negotiating with the people that spoke English and to, to translate things. That's why there's a husband road in, in Somerset County, right there in Somerset. They set up feed mills and grain granaries and they made a lot of money at it. That's why you look at old, old John Forney 
and you look at uh, Michael Beakley, and you look at the, the Zimmermans, and then they're pretty wealthy people. People, <laughs> Yost Miller, they had a lot of land, man. Uh, they weren't they weren't people that sat on their thumbs, man. They 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 worked hard for what they had, and they were tough people back in those days. So. I've read, read a lot about them. I read about, you know, there, there's an account of John Forney, my fourth great grandfather. I, I wish I could sit and talk to him, but I've got this, this thing where he's cutting timber right in an area where I know, I've, I've been there. I know exactly where he was at. I know how dark the forest is. There's some patches of it left where the, the hemlocks are so thick that it's dark during the day. You can barely walk through them. And he was cutting timber and he, um, realized his leg was swelling, so I think this is what they call dropsy. And I have this, this, this history that's written about the guy, just like he's sitting there telling it to you, and that's all I have is that one little account. And sometimes it's like the most pointless bit of information. You go, wow, <laughs> you know. So these historical artifacts sometimes are all you have to put context to things. There's a lot of history in Somerset County. People, you're on the Quay, or you want to do any research, go out there, look around. You know, don't don't take things to take them for yourself. Take, uh, how do I really put this? My teachers would be upset at me telling people to take things, but if you see something of historical significance, mark where you found it with GPS coordinates. Take pictures of it where you see it, Put it in a bag and mark it, okay? And then, then take it to the historical society or somebody and say, hey, this is where I found it. This is the context of it. This is an artifact. It's not a geofact. It's an artifact. It's something from this. You're giving it historical context. So, so many people will go and take an artifact. They'll find it, a cannonball, arrowhead, you name it, and take it away. And keep it as a prize and uh, the whole context of what it was about is, is lost the whole story of what that little piece of information could tell you is lost I marked marked right where I found this things with the fingerprints on them and that and I'm gonna take them up and it to me it to me it's pretty neat you know uh, it's these are people my ancestors might have known I want to do this podcast, and me, I come from this area where there's a lot of history. There's a lot of local history. There's Fort Ligonier, Fort Bedford. I've done a couple podcasts about it. But everybody, you know, when you're out, think about the people here before you. Think about all those people that came before you. And when you come across something that looks important, give it the respect it's, it's due. <laughs> I was just really excited today to see that I posted a video I want to end this podcast thinking of these men and women because there were women too you know I've talked about uh, Yoss Miller's sister-in-law Brandywine it, 
it's easy today to forget what these people went through, be it with, and I have Native American blood, so I don't mean this against Native American tribes, but there were some tribes that British paid to attack people. You take Tall's Hill, you take Will's Mountain, there's a lot of history there, some brutal stuff. But think about these people that came over these mountains, these vast forests, they farmed them, they hunted them, they gave them all these names. They learnt from the Native Americans that were here. And history doesn't record them. It records people that I do have a lot of respect for, like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and um, Ben Franklin, Alexander Hamilton. But the local everyday guy is just not talked about. And to me, that's the most exciting part of history. The women that could could take and make a meal out of anything and then work as hard as a man and I mean I don't need to get into all that, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Your grandmothers, if you sat and talked to them, their great grandmothers were the ones they learned from. Our society's losing that. That they're losing the idea that what what uh what the context of things are. I think people are becoming like these artifacts. They're becoming lost. They're becoming lost out there somewhere, forgetting where they came from. Don't ever lose that. Pay close attention to your history and respect all these amazing people whose names may be forgotten, but if you had their DNA and did a DNA test, you'd be surprised that they still live in all of you. So. Don't let them ever be forgotten. What's the old saying? Walk as if a thousand generations stand behind you, because they do. That's one I like. And I'm going to end on that one. Thank you all for your time. And if you uh, want to get out to Quima Hunting and out in that area and look at some history, um, I want to get a recap this Quima uh, Hunting Dam. Uh, the old Joseph Beakley Cemetery that was missing, if you want to find that. It's on Goldsmith Road. You go to where the Wyan Sign Company is, go back. And the Wyans own that. Um, don't know if they gave me permission or not. I really don't need it because it's a cemetery. But you go back several miles, there's a lake on your right. It's right after that. You'll get a turn in the road. And there's a field, the house on your left. And right on the tree line of that road, on that curve, there's up about 100 yards of cemeteries kind of hidden back in there. It needs explored more. I haven't done a whole lot with it, but uh, pretty neat stuff, people. So if you're related to him and you want to find it out as much as I have, because I've done the research for a lot of you, it's there. <laughs> Thank you.